0: You're listening to the Degrees of Freedom podcast, conversations about higher education in the 21st century between students and teachers. Produced at the University of Atlanta. Welcome to another episode of Degrees of Freedom. My name is Tasso Sarampolis, and I'm joined here by Malcolm Davis. Hi, Malcolm. Hi. And we're here to talk about the role of student instructors, students teaching other students in their own program Erin and Jason program, and we have um, two new guests here today on Degrees of Freedom, Stacy Donofrio and Evan Megan. Welcome both of you. It's nice to have you here.
1: Nice to be here.
0: Thank you. I'll jump right in and ask you to introduce yourself and uh, introduce your your role and involvement in um, in uh, how student instructors participate in our in our faculty. Um, Stacy, maybe I can ask uh, uh, start with you.
1: Sure. I'm Stacy Donofrio and I'm a senior lecturer at the Department of Psychology. I have many roles. Um, I am the skills coordinator for the psychology department, which means I'm responsible for making sure that the students leave our program with a a nice toolbox full of uh, conversation skills. I coordinate the courses in which they learn the communication skills, and I am also involved in the training process.
0: The training process of student of instructors.
2: Of the student instructors,
1: yes.
0: Evan? Um, that would be me.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Evan Mehan. I'm a third-year bachelor in psychology student. And this year I started mentoring. That's uh, about it. I'm also doing my thesis on mentoring and the role that us student instructors, we have
0: on the student outcomes. Yeah. So... One thing that we've been discussing before we started uh, recording this episode is in uh, a matter of terminology that I think it's uh, interesting to address here at the beginning. Uh, What this episode is all about is the involvement of students in actually delivering education, um, largely small group Teaching, these would be groups of anything from 6 to 12 or 20 students. What's no, 12, 12 students, 12 is, students the is the is the standard. Uh, and you'll probably hear us talk about these individuals as um, invariably either as instructors or teachers or peer mentors, uh, all kinds of terms that are used in different contexts, in different departments, in different courses. But in all of these cases, we're talking about the same uh, matter. These are... Um, students teaching other students. So I suppose the, the the first question that I'll ask you, Stacey, is why why do we have that? Why do we have students teaching other students? Why are we not doing it ourselves? Uh,
1: well, I think that it's really important to be aware of the body of research that shows that social and cognitive congruence, so social congruence being that the, the instructor is somebody that you can identify with and cognitive congruence, congruence is where the instructor delivers material in a way that's understandable to the students, that these two things really affect student motivation. And we see that people who are therefore closer to the students, i.e. other students who are a bit further along in the program, are really good at delivering the content of the skills courses that we're trying to
0: teach. This seems on the surface evident or easy to to digest. Indeed, they're probably going through similar journeys and therefore the context of discovery, I suppose, is is similar and therefore the context of explanation and uh, interaction might be similar. Um, is, is there I, I, are, are there any specific advantages to this in uh, in terms of how we uh, how we use different people in the program?
1: I think that um, when you're talking about a practical course that has groups of twelve, um, you need to th- that we have a large program that translates to I think about 25, 25 different groups. So also for, for in terms in terms of trying to Maintain a certain level uh, standard of what the students are are being taught. It's really nice to have this this sort of traineeship program. So using the students in this role is really is a really great way to inspire the the younger students to learn the skills to to um, motivate them to learn the skills to understand that the person in front of them uh, was recently in their position and has uh, was so engaged with the material that they want to now teach it um, I think that that really works as a great motivator for students and it's really nice for us to be able to give students an extra skill set uh, when they graduate as well so so you can imagine that we have all of the students who take these communication skills courses and then we have we offer, the student assistance then the opportunity to be in the role of instructor and then gain those didactic skills themselves to then go on to uh, teach in other settings.
0: Yeah, and Evan, I guess, is a perfect example of this um, of what you're describing here. So, um, Evan, do you feel that this kind of empathic connection, perhaps, between the the, the learners and the student instructors uh, is something that um, really helps you deliver uh, the content or um, or assists you in doing your work? Yeah, certainly. Like being able to relate
2: to them as well, like Stacey was saying earlier, you can kind of stand in front of them and be like, I'm still in one piece, I'm still here. So, you know, you can do it too. Like y- it supports them in a lot of ways. And then it also just kind of ties you into the sort of, academic community a lot more which I really appreciate because I started my studies during COVID so (laughs) I didn't have a lot of interaction with the uni or with people at the uni so I thought that it was uh, just a great opportunity to really form these relationships um, and forge the skills that I've been learning over the few years.
1: I think that that's this idea of crystallizing the knowledge so if you're a first or second year student you're practicing with these skills for the first time um, and it's a, a term that I've I've heard in other programs where you um, see one do one teach one
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, so they get to you experience it themselves as students, but when you are on the other side of the table and you are explaining a, something to 12 students, it, it really helps you to crystallize that knowledge. Of
0: course, uh, yeah. You're, um, I remember Feynman famously uh, talked about that you really only understand something if you're able to explain it uh, exactly. clearly and uh, at, a, at, a, at any kind of level. It has this, it Evan has this been your experience yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> definitely it, it um, completely helps me to uh
2: yeah crystallize that knowledge that i already had but also add some more to it with the sort of experiences that my students bring to it and sort of the opinions that they bring about it mm-hmm. and then it just gives me even a better sort of well-rounded look at these communication skills or
3: whatever it might be that i'm teaching yeah i was it interesting because y- when you have like an exam they say you know if you can do the written exam well then you technically understand what you're doing but then i feel um when you talk to teachers and and and, and i guess good teachers are ones who can bring across the message well um i i, fe- I feel like those pe- when they can do it well it feels like oh those people really get it but then i wonder yeah, then i'm just thinking about the value of the written exam or uh even a uh, if your a, a presentation is being graded for example and you're de- checking your presentation skills like what are we <laughs> really looking at but that's just a uh, one, one thing I do think about and I, I I think there's value to it but I do think there's like an added value to being able to explain it to fellow students or just anyone um like what what, what you're learning basically I don't know if that's something you, you thought about but I have thought about that before like I might just be doing written exams but how well do I understand it versus someone who really has to teach someone um, the material on a daily basis.
2: Yeah, and I guess that kind of comes into the sort of how maybe some people study for exams is Mm -hmm. in a group with people explaining Mm -hmm. it to one another and that clearly shows that if you can explain it to somebody Mm -hmm. then you you get it. Yeah.
0: Has it changed the way you study in courses that you don't necessarily teach? You know, there's always that uh, platonic idea of a learner who asks uh, themselves uh, questions as they're learning and uh, provides this kind of Socratic method to themselves. Uh, I don't know how realistic that is. Do you Uh, find that your experiences as a teacher have um, steered you that
2: direction? I guess. I think um, (laughs) it makes me look at the content a lot more critically, like when I'm studying for stuff, and it has helped me sort of get the bigger picture in a lot of ways. Because, in terms of my teaching, I have this syllabus. so I sort of already know what the jigsaw looks like. Um, but my students just see it piece by piece. So then I guess for other courses, I just sort of zoom out a little
0: bit, and that can kind of help me in a lot of ways. did uh, did anything change when you saw the curtain being pulled and uh, seeing the the wizard behind <laughs> the curtain, so to say? whether the reference yeah. to the wizard of oz is still uh <laughs> is yeah. still relevant in 2023 um yeah definitely uh the one
2: thing i learned is teachers are humans too guys no <laughs> and yeah it it definitely fostered a lot of empathy and and gratitude as well for the, all the work that the amazing teachers at our university do for us and then also just to be more empathetic
3: towards that process do I don't know if you you get much feedback um, in the training program, Stacy? But is this something you think you you hear a lot um, back from?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, I think that uh, we do get a lot of feedback um, from from the students in the training program. So the the student assistants, um, and I ac- actually also use their feedback on the course. So okay. you have the the level of the student evaluations where the students in the course give us feedback on the course, but. For me, also the experience of the student assistants teaching the course, it provides me valuable feedback with how to uh, make improvements. But I also hear a lot of, oh, wow, I didn't realize this when I was uh, taking the course myself. And that, that's really nice to see the, the enormous growth that they go through during the course of the semester or the, the course of the year.
0: Yeah, speaking of growth, this is, um, this is something that we were interested in talking to both of you about. Uh, Stacey, you've had years of experience in in uh, training uh, student instructors, working with student instructors, and criti- and uh, crucially seeing how they change from this process. And Evan, the same for you in uh, in uh, in, a, in a in a more personal uh, way. Um, can you give us examples or um, or um Uh, your own understanding of what these changes entail uh, on a, on a personal level, not just on an intellectual level or in a skills level. I don't know if you
1: want to (laughs) answer
0: that first. So how you changed from the process. Yeah. How you changed in the process, uh, not just as a learner, not just as an educator or somebody involved in education, um, uh, but as a person. Yeah. I think it's, a fantastic
2: environment that we're in because it's a extremely high reward sort of environment. You can bring in this creative aspect. You can bring in these different, maybe more niche teaching techniques and look, if it doesn't work, it's one class. We'll get, we'll get it next time, you know? And then also just, obviously there's so many skills you get from it from having to organize 12 other people. I feel slightly more (laughs) organized myself. Um,
1: yeah, no. Well, I'm just thinking about Evan's comment and and how uh, maybe it's important to really discuss how much support the students get in in becoming an instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not just that we give them a syllabus and say here you go, have fun, uh, but that there is this whole train the trainer program uh, in here at our department where the students take a third-year course called Teaching Skills uh, that I also coordinate and, uh, and teach where we meet for four-hour sessions, I think a total of maybe 17 times over the course of the semester uh, with a, uh, the kickoff week of meeting four times in a week. is super intense. Boot camp. Yeah, <laughs> boot camp week. Um, and where they get to experiment with different techniques in this safe environment uh, where they play the role of teacher Mm-hmm. They, they are trying things out, seeing how that affects the, the environment in the classroom, and then they go into mm-hmm. the classroom and are applying these didactic skills that they've just learned together with conversation skills that they are, are teaching that week to um, really evolve as instructors.
0: Uh, yeah, so many comments. The first one is I want to really uh, hear more about this very, what I, ind- uh, what I see as a very open uh, and... Um, um I'll call it an experimental approach, but I, what I mean by this is an approach that is very uh, interested in seeing what works and what doesn't, and learn from this. But I think the first comment I wanted to say is that um, I don't remember having that much training in my <laughs> in, uh, in my professional <laughs> career as a, as an instructor of small groups, and this is uh, I'm yeah. I'm very grateful to see that um, uh, this kind of rigor in. Um, in the training of, uh, of student instructors exists and I think contrasts uh, in, in very interesting ways to a lot of uh, other fields. Evan, uh, c- can you give us some examples of these techniques or, or tools, as you called them, uh, that you've tried and seen what works and what doesn't work mm-hmm. and presumably contexts in which they do and don't?
2: Yeah. So there was one uh, class that I had recently which was on diversity and inclusion, which was a very interesting class. And one of the techniques I decided to bring to it was that this class is basically very based on discussions, on people's experiences of their culture and other cultures, etc. Um, so I moved all the tables in the room and we just had a circle of chairs. And throughout the whole sort of thing, I was noticing, okay, who's coming in first? Where are they sitting? Then who comes in next? Where do they sit? Do they sit beside them or across the circle? Why did they sit across the circle? <laughs> so you can really, really get lost in it. But then in this sort of setting where we're all sitting in this circle very close together, the discussion is extremely fruitful, extremely open and insightful because there is literally just not that physical barrier of that table between them and me. We sort of are leveled, we're sort of leveled. So that would be one maybe technique that I brought in to see if it would work. And it seemed to work in that context, but (laughs) maybe in a different sort of style of a class, it wouldn't be beneficial to have everyone sitting like that together. But um, yeah, just
0: room for experimentation, I guess. Have you tried the same thing, Stacey? Does it work for you to have the tables or not have the tables? I'm always curious about the differences in the um, in the relationships, in the in the uh, in the dynamics. I suppose is the right word uh, between student instructors and well, let's call it staff instructors and their students.
1: Um, I think that it depends, of course, on the material that you're going to be presenting that day. Um, but experimenting with having people move away from, from or move the tables away and having people sit in a circle on their chairs or maybe on the floor even uh, is really engaging and energizing for the group. And, and you notice a totally different kind of atmosphere in the group and level of engagement with the, with the material with, in the discussions during the session.
0: You mentioned also that engagement is something that you look at um, as a as an outcome. Changes in engagement as yes. an outcome mm-hmm. based on the different roles of uh, that the in student instructors have. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Well, we are currently doing research on the effects of um, of the student teachers on uh, different student outcomes, and primarily focusing on levels of engagement and. Uh, Help-seeking behavior, um, things like that, and and to what degree? What basically what affects that? How can the student assistant increase that behavior? And what we see is that that these behaviors of where the the instructor approachable and engaging and and welcoming and warm. Which I think is something that comes maybe more naturally to a student who's teaching than maybe a faculty mentor or maybe more visible to the students from a a student assistant rather than whether you see a gray haired Hmm. uh, faculty member who is used to a lecture style setting and then all of a sudden comes into this small group setting and thinks, "Okay, I'm going to lecture them. But having this warm environment seems to really increase the trust within the group and, and once the group feels safe, once there's a safe learning environment, the all of the outcome variables like help seeking um, motivation to engage in the class, that they all increase.
0: Is there anything I can learn from this? I am the gray-haired uh, professor in this context. Is there something that... So I take what you say about the warmth and the approachability and certainly there is a smaller barrier to overcome when you're of a similar age and similar experiences and students uh, note this easily. But um, what can I take from these experiences into my own small group teaching?
1: I think that it is important for the students to see similarity between you and, and I don't mean that you need to disclose to them that you've also seen that same film or that you also like to go to that bar not, not that kind of personal disclosure but that when you were learning this this is the question that you also had um, about this particular theory for example just welcoming their questions uh, showing interest in them as, as young academics making it clear that you want to have a discussion in the class. That, that, that is really important.
2: Yeah, and definitely, like we were saying, these things that we term as immediacy behaviors, which is, you know, smiling, open body language, um, encouraging discussion, that sort of stuff. These really matter in making the student feel like they're part of something here, part of something that's very personal, but also bigger than them. They're part of this... Twelve-person class that's tackling these different subjects and everything. So, yeah, but definitely showing your similarities in um, these ways of oh, I had the same question or I had this same challenge, especially, and then complementing that with your immediacy behaviors uh,
3: looks to to, to help. <laughs> it seems so. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering about something very specific, but because I know, for example, once I had a um, student instructor in front of me who was a lot older because they had come back to university. And then even them expressing that they were a student and what they struggle with made me already feel the same. But then I don't know if my fellow students felt the same way. So I was wondering about the, like, how much of it is age and how much of it is just being a student. But then I don't know if there are enough people who are a lot older doing this um, to really see if there is a difference. And I don't know if that's something that, that has been researched. But it just got me to thinking really.
2: I'm not sure about the research, but from a personal experience, Mm -hmm. and it's a bit more of a flip side. Mm -hmm. A lot of my students are actually older than me. Mm -hmm. So um, I vividly remember (laughs) when this sort of came out in class and everyone was like, what? (laughs) You're only 20? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) But... um, that it didn't seem to affect or maybe it was a bit more implicit and I didn't really notice, mm-hmm. but it didn't really change the vibe of how they respond to me or anything. But I definitely think there would be some interesting research to, to into that area.
3: Yeah.
1: And I can imagine that if you are, because I'm also a lot older than the students in my group, I think that it's important to have them feel heard and valued and that just because you have more uh, you're older doesn't mean that your opinion is the more important one or that you have more knowledge on a subject i mean hopefully you have more knowledge (laughs) than them but (laughs) that that you want to have a discourse with them that it's not a one-way conversation but really a situation where we encourage discussions
3: yeah, and I I sometimes wonder if there's a pressure on st- student instructors to come across as if they know more or as if because I, I can imagine there's a kind of like a weird thing. I don't know if you're you're, you're, you're nodding. I yeah, haven't. there's but there's that pressure to know
2: everything, but I, I I think that pressure is probably the same for you guys too in terms of when you're teaching. But we know everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and. Yeah, there has been some times where I do get a question, and part of me is like, oh, come on, you should know this. like, what are you doing here? And then the other part's like, mm, no, I don't no. need to know everything. I'm also still a student, and I'm still learning. And even when we get these discussions, or get these questions, um, they always tend to open up in these really fruitful discussions where we're like, okay, well, I don't know, let's take five minutes, let's, uh, we do this thing called Think, Pair, Share, So you think about it, pair up, and then you share your thoughts about it. And then we actually look at it, maybe do some research on it, and then we can get to some sort of answer. So I definitely understand that pressure and that the pressure is there, but I don't think you should let that overwhelm you.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think it's an interesting interaction between these two factors. in, 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 in In my experience so far is that I feel that I've become more and more and more comfortable saying i don't know yeah i um and that that comfort has increased with the fact that i know more and more um and i i suspect that it's the same for student instructors that even though the expectations for knowing a lot are lower mm-hmm. um there is an increase in the discomfort um That comes with not providing, not being able to to provide answers. But I can also imagine that there are other ways in which these um, uh, the challenge of being closer to them, to the students in experience and in context, um, also becomes apparent. Are there any other ways in which you feel that, as um, um, as a as an instructor, as an educator, or as a peer, these two roles clash? Uh, I suppose in in some ways the fact that uh, I'm both older and expected to have a lot of Mm. experience and that kind of distance gives me the challenge of becoming more approachable, but it makes it easier for me to be authoritative, let's say. Um, But I don't know how you experience this. Yeah,
2: I guess, yeah, like I said, we don't have all the knowledge, but that can also sort of already impact what sort of um second guesses you're having about being in that position you know obviously starting the program nobody's ready to start instructing you, you cou- we could do we could do four boot camps <laughs> of, of training and you, d- you aren't ready so you know not being able to answer something can really maintain that idea of oh i probably i'm not qualified enough to be here but Like I said earlier, you kind of can't get caught up in that because you have to trust um, your instructor's judgment. Yeah, no. Like we were saying, Stacey's been doing this for years, so I'd like to think she made a good choice. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah.
1: But this is also something that we discuss in our in our trainings. That um, how how what do you do if somebody starts to ask you questions that you can't answer? How do you go about that? and, and we, I hope that the students understand the, that when they are in the role of instructor, they're not expected to know everything. And, and mm. this might be a cultural difference, but in the educational setting here, it's okay for the instructor to say, you know what, I don't know the answer. And to propose something like what Evan said, where you do a think peer share and everybody just starts looking things up right there or that you go back to come back to them in the next meeting and say, oh, you know what, I've really thought about this and I've I've done some research or I've talked to so-and-so and here's the answer to this question that you had last week. And, and in the end, I think that strengthens your position as instructor.
3: Yeah. I was also wondering about how explicit, for example, you ever make it in the beginning when you have a new group of students that you're also students because just going off of personal experience i know i've had times when it was just a person and they would just come in and be like hey you know do this and we might have a lot of interaction but then it took me a while to realize like, oh that's a student so i was just wondering because i can imagine if you make it very explicit then the students are already aware of it and that could make it easier but that's just me thinking yeah. aloud i think uh probably would have made it very explicit <laughs> if I could go back in time but yeah. yeah when
2: I first started I didn't really say much again like you're saying they just sort of came into the room mm-hmm. and sat down but then when they got a bit more comfortable and then they started sort of testing the waters that's when they found out and then they were like oh but I mean they already were having experiences where they were being taught by students before in other courses so I don't think it was anything of like great surprise mm-hmm. to them but um yeah, they'll they'll tend to find out within the yeah. first couple of <laughs> sessions.
0: Is it hard to establish the right kind of boundary in a setting like this?
2: Um, it can be hard. I mean, I don't think knowing where the boundary is for you is hard to like determine that. For example, whether or not you want to give them your phone number for contact or just your email, you know, situations like that. Um, usually you know what you want but it's the sticking to it. It's the, you know, being like, okay, that's it. Th- I need to set this boundary and I need to say, this is where the disconnect is between me mentoring and me doing my other obligations or whatever it might be.
3: Yeah, Is this something addressed during the, the training, Stacey?
1: Definitely. Mm. So we, we talk about where uh, levels of professionalism. So what is professionalism in the context of, of a teaching environment? Um, what is it for the students specifically? So, so every student assistant is going to have a different, and every instructor, every faculty mentor, uh, faculty person is going to have different views on, on what they find acceptable. And some professors will have no problem sharing their phone number with the students, you know, like, hey, if you have a, a, a question you want to discuss with me, you could send me this message. And then there are, are people who don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, so we discuss, we don't tell them these are the rules, but we discuss this as, okay, well, you have to think for yourself. Where are your boundaries? What is acceptable to you? How do you want students to view you? Um, you know, how do you approach this with your group?
3: Yeah. I was thinking in terms of uh, student engagement, like you were talking about. Like, I wonder how those things play a, play a role. Um, I know, for example, um, I, I once had to help with teaching. I wasn't, it's hard I guess then in that sense, I, I, I was for a specific course, uh, a teaching instructor or a student instructor, but I was asked if I, it was just one student though. And then the, the teacher said, well, you know, you can just talk with this person. It's for this very small part of what they're doing. It's not, it's not very usual. And the student expressed afterwards that since we were in close contact and they could contact me and I would reply very quickly uh, versus how quickly a, te- um, a professor would respond to them. They found that very nice and that really f- they felt very motivated by that. So I, I guess I'm also wondering about like how that affects um, student engagement because, of course, you need to, as a professional, find the boundary, like your personal boundaries and professional boundaries. But... I wonder how those things can also affect students, especially since most of them are on their phones all the time. Um, and what I hear as a, in my job where I, I just assist in terms of like um, bright space and such is that um, oftentimes students email teachers and they don't get a reply, for example, because, of course, they're very busy. But they feel like, oh, if they would be a little more accessible through some other medium, that would make them feel a lot more safe, a lot more engaged, a lot more, you know, feel a lot better about what they're doing but I, i i guess i wonder if that's that should ever be looked at as um important versus you know the professional boundary of like no let's keep let's keep it here and not further yeah
0: i think there's a lot of interactions with different factors right um even if so bright space I know, has the possibility, I don't think it's active at the moment, but has the possibility for uh, essentially direct messages, uh, let's say, within the system, rather than going through emails, that you can exchange messages on the Brightspace platform. Um, Again, I don't know whether it's active or if it ever will be active, but there is such a possibility. But even if this becomes the case, I think the distance that I will have from my students will be determined by a number of other factors other than just this immediacy, including, as you say, my workload, which uh, might be very different than than a student instructor's, the perceived approachability that I have, which will likely be very different than a student instructor's, um, uh, but also just the general responsibility that I have. If I have responsibility for, let's say, 400 students in a a course, that will be different than having responsibility for 12 students within a smaller, uh, more personable context that is small group teaching etc so I suspect that there's a lot of interaction in this mm-hmm. it yeah it
1: and I, I think that's also one of the strengths of using students in yeah. this context that where where you can have 30 student assistants mm-hmm. um, teaching small groups of 12 students um, in this more intimate setting um, and it, it depends on the the nature of the course the whether that fits with the learning outcomes of a specific course uh, or not but in these skills trainings it's it's where students are need to be hands-on with with concepts with with role-playing with just experimenting using interview techniques like uh, like at the psychology department you can't get that in a lecture you can't have that um even as coordinator i can't discuss, you know, all the Mm. questions that all 400 students in the program have. So it's really great that there's this extra more, this closer level in between me as coordinator and the students.
0: Is there a way in which there is, I don't want to say consensus, but some kind of... um, 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 a similarity in the way these boundaries are navigated by student assist uh, by the student instructor so you mm-hmm. said for example that you have all these uh, what was it 17 meetings that you have through the through the year as as instructors and I presume that involves a lot of um, um, uh, peer mentorship itself and discussion about how uh, issues arise and how solutions are discovered and how, uh, your relationship to these um, experiences is um, is navigated? Is, are there other patterns? Are there um, interesting ways that you've noted this taking place in um, your group? Well,
2: it's definitely correct that there is a lot of interaction between us. There, um, there's 12 of us in the teaching skills class that I took. And we're constantly sort of passing things by each other or using each other sort of as a double check In terms of setting boundaries, I know some of um, my group are quite, well, some people might say strict, Mm. and they have their own reasoning for that, you know, as in that they want to remain and keep this level of authority and keep this control throughout the class, so it just goes smoothly, and they don't really need to worry about it all losing. Some people, which I think I would include myself under, are slightly more lenient, but If we see that this is maybe breaking down, I don't know if it's the right word to say, but we're able to rein that back in quite quickly. And so, yeah, so I think it really does actually a lot of the time come down to your own personality or what you would expect from a teacher, what you would want from a teacher. For me uh, personally, I'm quite, like I said, yeah, lenient. Everything is easy. You do your work. I'll do my work. And, and it's, yeah, all good. Um, but if it's not going to work out, well then that
0: will be when there's time to intervene and we'll still work it out. Has it been challenging knowing that um, uh, probably in, a l- in some aspects your uh, social circles, your private life, your um, uh, after-work life uh, overlaps more with your students than mine? Um, it's... Certainly interesting.
2: <laughs> uh, there's many times that I've been maybe out in the city or something, and I've seen students. Um, but usually, there's never any any issue. It's usually just like hi, and then mm-hmm. you know we'll we'll see each other in class. You don't need to come up and start having a long conversation. But um, I think that's kind of even what I like about it, because like I was saying, how it just makes me feel a bit more connected to the uni to the city and uh, so uh, if I see my student when I'm out having a drink or something it's still nice to know that oh that's my student Mm. oh we have a connection that's I think I value the
3: connection over the slight uh, nuisance (laughs) that some people may perceive it as. And you don't feel like when you then see them again um, during the class that something drastically changes in terms of no, no, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm never. I never have that
2: fear of like, oh, they've seen <laughs> me out. They know I like to have fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how will how will they treat me? Um, no, I. Everything just moves on. You know, like I'm saying, this whole sort of process, again, is just making me realize everyone's just human. We all. Yeah.
0: How do the students themselves experience um, having uh, student instructors in their courses? Is it for them? Do do you have a lot of. Um, um input from them about how they value this experience?
1: I see in the course evaluations that this system of uh, uh, employing students as teachers really works well in the small group teaching. They really value that there's um, more connection between them and and the student in front of them who is teaching them skills that they just learn themselves in terms of like, I I know, you know, I I was here last year. I'm going to help you get through this. Um, they, they seem to, um, there's always praise for for people about uh, they were so approachable and they made it so comfortable to practice in class. Uh, these are classes where, you know, you have a video camera in front of you recording you in a, in a professional setting playing the role of a psychologist interviewing a client. Um, uh, a student playing a client uh and that can be uh, really intimidating for somebody but to know that the it's i think it works better than having say me be in the class with them and uh, me sitting in on the the recording
3: (laughs) yeah i was wondering about workload because of course they're always very um like very uh ambitious people who want to do so much in terms of uh, i know you already said there are are many assistants or or instructors who um can help out but are there some who do more than others and is there anything in place to like make sure that they are okay in terms of (laughs) their mental health i just wonder if this plays any role or if it's something that that is addressed in the training or outside of the training
1: Already from the selection procedure, we take this into account. So one of the things that we ask everybody is, um, okay, w- do you know what this course... So so the students who are working in student assistants are themselves taking a class that has a high workload. Um, so in the interviews for teaching skills, we I say, okay, well, do you know what this course involves? Um, what does your year look like next year are you going to be able to manage it um, so we have this this whole discussion with them before they even get into the situation where where nice. they're going to be teaching um, for it's it's often possible for students so within the teaching skills course uh, they get one group of the communication diagnostic skills um, course to teach and depending on the possibilities they could take on a second group, where, mm. um, but we take into account whether or not that's going mm. to affect the, their workload because, of course, they are students and we want to ensure that they don't get a study delay because they're doing this teaching. Uh, and throughout yeah. the semester, of course, we have intervision sessions with them where we check in and see okay, how is it going? Are you managing? Um, and do you need anything? Mm. There's also a lot of support for, as Evan mentioned, with in the group with
2: each other yeah yeah definitely yeah. i feel like um a lot of the times like yeah i can't deny it is quite a highly high, high workload you are doing a lot and a lot of the times it does feel like you're walking on that wire and trying to to balance it all but i think the 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 best thing is uh, i keep coming back to it but this support system is just that safety net you know sort of mm-hmm. below you where it's like oh if something goes, something tips, you fall, you've got the great instructors <laughs> and your great mm-hmm. colleagues to really help you and be like, okay, um, what happens? So, yeah, with the intervision sessions, we take a quite a structured approach to the problem itself. And we will basically have one person, they'll just speak freely about what's going on. And then we'll have some, follow-up questions but not try to suggest any sort of um solutions just right now again just sort of feeling out the problem seeing how it's going and then we'll split off a kind of and we'll discuss it in subgroups of like possible ways you could tackle this and they're they're so great (laughs) they sometimes end up being a little therapy session but Mm. it's great for everyone
1: and i i think maybe it's also good to um Point out how the train the trainer program we have at the psychology department is very extensive and it might not be the case in other faculties at other universities, but um, maybe we should uh, kind of market our strategy, which seems to be successful in terms of sending our student assistants away with a CV that really reflects all of the skills that they've learned um, and also, the course evaluations from the first and second year students taking the course, how they value this this um, instructor who is more similar to them. Hmm.
0: Do you see many instructors considering, after this training, um, a career in, in academic teaching?
1: I think there are about four, pe- four or five people in our department currently who were once teaching assistants, hmm. uh, which is really nice to see that they were so um inspired that they wanted to uh, continue teaching and and then take it up one more level so now they are teaching the students who then will be teaching the first year students it seems to be pretty successful
3: yeah so we were talking about um yeah so teaching skills mainly um and i was wondering if any other skills the, if you int- if you if you would say you need to in- you can or should i don't know which one which one you would like to use which word you like to use integrate other skills um when thinking about uh, uh being a, a student instructor
2: yeah there's definitely a lot that you can take into it and even from maybe aspects of your life or pastimes that you are like that's completely unrelated and that's <laughs> never going to help me there um i've but more of a personal experience. So as part of the assessment um, of teaching skills, we do these hour-long presentations that we give to our colleagues who also do teaching skills, and they're basically about uh, these teaching tools that you could maybe use in practice and that um, are interactive and sort of maybe niche, I guess. <laughs> um, and I was got to choose the topic of body language and presence And I don't know if Stacey remembers the Mm. choosing of that, but my hand shot up (laughs) straight away.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, it was very (laughs) (laughs) enthusiastic.
2: And the reasonings for that is I have a background in theatre and I basically brought a lot of movement exercises and these exercises that I would have done in a drama context into teaching because I was doing sort of research and came to this realisation that the teacher is a form of an actor. Mm. They have to keep that class engaged. You have to entertain them. Mm, Like you were saying earlier, everyone's always on their phones, (laughs) so you have to be more entertaining than that phone. So I brought a lot of this theory in. The main theory that I worked on was um, Jacques Lacoste's Seven Levels of Tension. He was a French gymnast who then went into acting and he developed these seven levels of tension that you can work through. And that basically Backdropped the whole presentation. We did a lot of movements, uh, exercises, basically just becoming aware of how our bodies move and what this tells to other people and how like much of a tool you have here. And I know we're always saying, oh yeah, 60% of our um, communication is completely body language. Why don't we actually <laughs> use that then? You? Mm-hmm. So that was that. And then what I really liked about it was Finished up on quite a nice note um, with a values exercise where I asked the group to take some values that they have as a teacher, create a movement that symbolizes that for them, and then they'd work in a group and sort of integrate all their movements together. And I'd put on some music and I'd ask them to do their movements. And then by the end of it, most of the times they don't realize that they have made a
0: theatrical piece about what they value as mentors. Mm. So, nice. I'll, um, I'll ask you to, to see if you can give us some uh, resources to add to the description of this episode that yep. I find that uh, very interesting. I find that this is indeed one of the dimensions that all instructors could benefit from, um, from thinking about more, not necessarily incorporated in, in their teaching, but thinking about how this might benefit or how this uh, uh, what kind of relationship they might have with this. Um, Evan, Stacy, it's been really good to talk to you. I can, I can with uh, a lot of honesty, say that um, uh, I appreciate the, the extensiveness of the program that we have in, um, in training skills uh, and for, for uh, student instructors. I know that even though I have not worked in courses like this, I have indirectly benefited from this as an instructor because it, uh, I, have, I have seen that it helps my students in, in other courses. I have seen that it improves my engagement with my community because, indeed, as you say, Evan, as your empathy or your, your, your connectedness to your environment and to your teachers increases, the same thing happens to, to us... Um, and because it, it it strengthens the community to realize that learning and teaching are really uh, a communal um, activity and uh, and that these two parts mirror each other very well. So thank you for being on Degrees of Freedom. Thank yeah. you for having us. Oh, thank you. And thank you to our listeners for, for being with us one more time. And uh, Malcolm, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. This podcast was a production of the University of Groningen.